I'm your host, Drew Osmond, on another edition of Finding Your Purpose podcast, episode number nine. Are you disappointed? Are you desperate for help? You know what it's like to be tired and only a shell of yourself. You start to believe You don't have what it takes Cause it's all you can do Just to move much less finish the race But don't forget What lies ahead Almost hope
Praise the Lord, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Finding Your Purpose Podcast. I am your host, Drew Osma. It's a blessing and an honor to have you on here today. I love that song, We're Almost Home. I heard it in my barber shop a few months ago, and it's certainly been a blessing to me over the past few months. Uh, This world's in such turmoil, such mess, but the race is almost finished. If we can just hold on just a little bit longer, this old filthy world we can put behind us and uh, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing our loved ones on the other side you can email me at findingyourpurposepod at gmail.com that is findingyourpurposepod at gmail.com and the reason I throw that out there is so that I can get a little feedback uh, see what some people like to see on the podcast maybe do uh, a little of this a little of that so you can email me there. And I hope you enjoyed the podcast of my grandfather last time. I thought it was a lot of fun for me personally putting it together. Brought back a lot of great memories. And I'd love to do another podcast on it because there's so many, so many stories we did not get to. Lack of time. And uh, it's very unfortunate this next week would have been Madisonville Youth Camp coming up. And uh, hearts are heavy because we can't go this year. But the church still goes on. And uh, certainly looking forward to camp next year. And Madisonville Youth Camp has played a big role in my life each and every summer for the past, I'm sure, 10 years. I haven't missed a camp yet. And uh, so we're certainly going to miss it. It's going to leave a bit of a hole in my heart this year. (laughs) But I think everything's going to be just fine. I'm looking forward to getting back to that next year. It is my honor today to bring to this podcast Pastor Robert Davis Sr. of Willersburg, Ohio. He is a friend of my grandfather, now a friend of my dad. And uh, one thing that always stands out to me is... I heard him preaching growing up as a little kid, and how he preached then is exactly how he preaches now. And uh, he's always been the same from ever since I was a little kid to now, and that speaks volumes to me. I appreciate someone that will stand for truth and preach with anointing and passion, and it is certainly an honor to have him on the podcast today. And now, Pastor Robert Davis, Sr., I'm with Pastor Robert Davis. It's such an honor to have you on the podcast today. I'm very honored to be invited and uh, love and appreciate you, Brother Osmond, very much. And you and your family have meant so much to us through the years. Thank you so much. Well, I got a very serious question to ask you at first. And that question is, do you think we're going to get through Corona? Are we going to make it alive (laughs) now? (laughs) <laughs> we'll come through a lot. <laughs> well, I'm praying all of us make it through yeah. this. <laughs> I'm just it's like anything else, you know, diseases come, diseases go. Uh, some make it, some do not. But all in all, we're in the hands of God. That's so right. We trust Him. And yes, sir. We believe that we're going to come out all right. So, Brother Davis, you, you wasn't born in the church, correct? That's... No, sir. Okay. When did y'all come into the church? My father and my mother, uh, of course, my father was born and raised uh, in Akron, Ohio, 
and my mother was born and raised in Mississippi. And uh, long story there, we'll cut the chase on that. But uh, after several years of them living in Ohio, and Dad built several houses, decided he was tired of shoveling snow, so he moved back to Mississippi. <laughs> well, it was in uh, the year of 1964 when my mother uh, got into her first real apostolic church. Actually, when she was younger, she had stumbled into one and was forbidden to ever go back uh, to that one. And so uh, my grandparents came down from Akron, and, and when they were uh, getting in the church there, of course, uh, their pastor, Delmer J. White, was did not have the opportunity to have uh, anyone stay at his house because he had a large family. So my grandparents would house some of the preachers because they only lived a block and a half from the church. Well, uh, whenever they got to Jackson, that's where my parents were living at the time, uh, they said, let's go to Brother Gamlin's church because Brother Gamlin had stayed in my grandparents' house on numerous occasions. And they wanted to go by and say hello and, and also try to get my dad and my mother in church. Well, my dad informed him that uh, Brother Gamlin was no longer in Jackson and that a man by the name of Kraft was there. Hmm. And so they decided to go, and that was my mother's first uh, experience in an apostolic church, and she cried like a baby. Wow. And the uh, next week when Dad was uh, sitting in the living room smoking a cigar and watching television he heard my mother in the back room and he went back to see what she was doing and she was getting dressed and he said where are you going and she started weeping she said I got to go back to that church oh. and so he said well hold on we'll get ready and that night she received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and stayed until almost midnight for there to have enough water in the baptistry for her to be baptized in Jesus name and so that was in 1964 uh, in the month of May that uh, our family started going uh, to the Apostolic Pentecostal Church. Wow. So for a lot of people, including myself, uh, the younger generation don't know your father necessarily. It, it, explain how he was, how his ministry was, if you wouldn't mind. Well, you know, my father was uh, mightily used of the Lord to help people uh, praying for the Holy Ghost. He always said he had a ministry to chronic seekers, and the word chronic, he used that uh, a lot because it was people that sought for the Holy Ghost for more than just a week or two, and uh, he was one of those. He sought for the Holy Ghost for over a year, and anyway, and the Lord filled him with the Holy Ghost, and God allowed a man by the name of Leo Upton to come by and help him to pray through and establish faith and laid hands on him and prayed him through the Holy Ghost and, and it's, it's almost like a, a spiritual DNA got a hold of him and that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to help people get the Holy Ghost and so uh, he started praying. After he got the Holy Ghost, he started praying with other people uh, so they could get the Holy Ghost and uh, since he had been there, you know, yes, he knew sir. how it felt. And after uh, several months of that, and many times I remember as a boy, uh, seven and eight years old, uh, my sister and I would fall asleep upstairs. The prayer room is down in the basement of the old church there in Jackson, 1505 Robinson Street. And uh, we'd fall asleep, and Mom and Dad come up, 11.30, 12, 12.30, sopping wet. Uh, after
after they got through praying with people to get the Holy Ghost, well, then they'd pray for each other and sing and shout and have what they call their second service. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, God began to uh, deal with my dad. My mom and dad would, would put us kids to bed and they'd pray. And in one of those prayer meetings, the Lord called my dad to preach. And he was in his 30s. And uh, anyway, he kind of ran from that for a little bit, but God got a hold of him. And with the uh, blessing of his pastor, he went off to Bible school, which uh, in the uh, situation we were involved in, that was a very common thing. And went off to Houston, to Texas Bible College. And as he said, he graduated in one year. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's how his ministry began. So, uh, and I, I, you know, back in those days, they didn't have professors uh, as they do now trying to get degrees, but uh, some of the old timers back in those days that were my dad's instructors were people like O.W. Williams, James Kilgore, J.T. Pugh, O.R. Foss, uh, CLDs, and some of those household old time Pentecostal names basically back in the UPC, mm-hmm. uh, everybody knew who they were, and so uh, he began to glean from some of their teachings. And uh, and after a year, he went back to Jackson and assisted Brother Kraft for three and a half years. So that's how his ministry started. The late Elder James Davis. Colorado Springs one time, and I told the church, I said, go out and get the impossible. I'm going to preach faith. I want to see God healed tonight. I said, tomorrow night, just go out and get the impossible. And boy, did they ever find a convert. He had a sports car. Hands, both of them twisted. Body contorted. Amen. One leg two inches shorter than the other one. Walk with a cane. Everybody look and say, wonder what God's going to do. But all of a sudden, that man got so excited. He was tired of the conviction that he was in. He broke away from the side of the building. And he walked to the front. And when I anointed him with oil, amen, down went the cane. Outstretched his hands. God healed his back. God gave him the length of the leg. God healed him. He was tired of being in that problem of a situation. So I'm going to ask you a question. How long are you going to ride the crutch? Mm. I'm here to tell you God's in here right now. Right now. All you got to do is stand to your feet. Cry from the bottom of your heart. Cry out to God. Get excited. And if there he is. You said it won't happen. Oh, yes, it will. Oh, yes, it will. Hallelujah. We've sat on our pews long enough waiting for somebody to anoint you with oil. I'm telling you, the hands of God and the angels are in this place. Amen. You don't need to be anointed with oil. All you got to do is believe that He is. That He's a rewarder for them that diligently seek Him, that will trust Him and believe Him. Glory. Glory. You can be seated.
if God could get one person just to almost get hysterical. <laughs> and trust Him. Don't worry about it. There's too many wet blankets around here to put it out. <laughs> Glory. Amen. You can be seated. I was preaching in White Settlement, Texas one time. Several years ago. They got to preaching pretty strong. And there's an old boy sitting on the front seat. I'll tell you what, I'd like to pay him a salary that would go with me everywhere I went. And he got his eyeballs on me. He glued them on me. And the harder I preached, the more he shook and trembled. He kept looking at me. And he kept watching every move I was doing. Finally, he endured for about an hour. And finally, he stood at his feet. He said, my God, preacher, stop. You're killing me. I can't take any more of it. I can't have any more of it. All of a sudden, God intervened. God began to move. The Holy Ghost began to fall. Miracles happened. Woo! Honey, they're not going to come to you. you got to go to it. Begin to worship him and love him. Woo! Hallelujah! Let the dead bury the dead, but let the spiritual rejoice. Let the spiritual magnify the name of the Lord. in the name of Jesus. You want the Holy Ghost to devil leave me alone? I'm going to praise him. Mm. <laughs> hey, devil! You're a liar! Hallelujah! Honey, this thing wasn't done in the corner. The real power of God's in this place. He's looking for somebody to grab it. Come on, let's worship him. Let's love him. Well, glory! 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 Woo! Sakurama Bati Atalabati. Come on, get it! Get it while it's here! All the angels are here! Get it, my friend!
Brother Davis, being raised in a pastor's home, when did you begin to get it for yourself? I can remember back when I was like 13 or 14, uh, I always liked preaching. And back before the days of cassettes and MP3s and, and you know, different ways and styles of being able to hear preaching, my father and mother bought me uh, for a special occasion a little $30 uh, GE cassette recorder and and a lot of times I would record gospel music because I like listening to that. But most of the time I'd save my money when I'd get some and I'd go over to a little store called Gibson's and I'd buy me a pack of three cassettes and I would record the visiting preachers and I would listen to their messages over and over and over again. And so while everybody else was doing their thing, I was listening to preaching because I always loved preaching. And some of those messages I remember uh, way back yonder when my dad had a a reel-to-reel that someone had given him of a message preached at a youth conference. And I listened to that one over and over again, and I can still relate what the man said to this day uh, back when I was in my early teens. As I got older, uh, being very, very introverted and backward, when I realized what you'd have to do to be a preacher, uh, I began to run from that call. And uh, But all through that time, I used to, uh, my dad would go out and preach revivals, and sometimes, uh, I almost hate to say this over a podcast, but since we're in it, I would go with my dad, my mother, and my sister and brother would stay at home, and uh, he would let me drive him home, and I was only 14. I got my permit when I was 14 and a half and had my driver's license when I was 15. Of course, nowadays, uh, that's too young to drive. <laughs> but uh, I used to, he would be tired, and I'd be about 14, and I would, uh, I would drive him home from some of his uh, evangelistic meetings where he prayed people through the Holy Ghost and wow. preached to churches. And, uh, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed preaching. I enjoyed church. And uh, I guess... I don't. I don't suppose I'm some supernatural being, but I, I just always have loved the work of God and always wanted to live for God. I'm not saying I've always been perfect, but I've always wanted to live for God and always wanted to please Him. And uh, I think God put that in my heart, mm-hmm. and I'm just uh, very honored that uh, He worked with me until I finally said yes to His call. And we may talk about that a little later on. So. But anyway, that's uh, uh, probably uh, where I really got a hold of it was uh, uh, I remember when I was 17, I had a particular trial that came in my life, and uh, it really took me to my knees. I always prayed, but I don't know if I was ever faithful in prayer. But when I was uh, 17 uh, years of age, I graduated at 16, and so I went to work at a job for a while before I went off to college. And I remember the first night uh, that I got into intercessory prayer. And I would say, Brother Osmond, that that's that's where I finally connected with it. And at that point, I wanted to pray. Uh, I remember laying under the second pew at the church there in Balk Springs, and I don't know how long it was, but I wailed and cried until there was no more words and there were no more tears and my stomach was sore. And I felt like 
me and God had a connection there. Mm -hmm. And that's probably 17 is where it really, really got a hold of me. And still running from a call to preach, but I just, uh, God did something to me uh, in those prayer meetings and, uh, and, and put a love in my heart for prayer. And I, I thank God for that. So from there, I, I've heard you mention it in your preaching some. You went off to Bible college. And tell us a little bit about some of the prayer meetings with Brother McFall and Brother Riggin. <laughs> well, Bible college is uh, a lot different today than it was in our day, of course. <laughs> Uh, as most people know, I was raised, my father was in the United Pentecostal Church, and, and so that's what we knew. Yes. And anyone that had a call to preach, and since Dad went to Bible school, then uh, he kind of promoted that. So I went off to uh, Texas Bible College in Houston, and uh, at that time, uh, it was different men. It wasn't run and taught by pastors, but it was taught by men that were good men, and we learned a lot, and uh, so uh, I can't say that it was a uh, an art, artful act of futility going to Bible school, but I certainly did learn a lot, and I'm thankful for that experience. During that time, somebody uh, had asked me to write a little thing for the uh, school paper and wanted to put it in the annual, and I mentioned that Bible school did not teach us consecration or prayer or even holiness principles, but they did teach us how to systematically study and interpret the Word, and that's where uh, a lot of uh, the Bible school experience came from. In that time, because there was no real uh, push for prayer, uh, I, re I remember uh, uh, because Brother McFall and Brother Riggin were out of my father's church, and so uh, Brother McFall and I pretty much attended four years together. Brother Riggin came in a little later because he was younger. Uh, during that last year, my senior year, we decided that we uh, wanted to have an all-night prayer meeting. Nothing like that had ever been done at Bible school. and So we got permission from the president and went into the uh, chapel, and that's where we were going to have a prayer meeting. It was going to go from midnight till daybreak, and normally would go in uh, two or three-hour shifts, and uh, so we were excited about it. We, we uh, uh, had it announced, and one of the guys that stayed in our dorm, uh, he was actually out of Brother J.T. Pugh's church in Odessa. Uh, his parents had been uh, in Korea, and that's where they got the Holy Ghost in the mission field of Korea, came back and was from Odessa. And so he came to Bible school. That's what people did in those days. I walked by his room, and he was getting all dressed up to come to prayer meeting, and I remember uh, speaking to him, and I said, uh, we're going to be praying all night long, and you may be laying on the floor or sitting up or kneeling, and you know, so you want to be comfortable. You don't have to wear a suit. And I never will forget, he looked at me, and he said, I'm going to be talking to God tonight, and I want to look as best as I can. And it smote me, and... Uh, I wanted to go back and change into a suit myself. I didn't, but uh, I wanted to. And anyway, that was a real moving moment for me. Yes. Uh, here's a young guy that's only been in uh, the church just a number of months, and 
he realized that his uh, talking to God was an experience that he wanted to be precious. And I never forgot that, and I've used that story in preaching several times. I wished I could remember the young man's name, but uh, anyway, those were some of the precious times in Bible school that we're able to uh, pray and to seek God and fast and uh, learn the Word of God and glean some great spiritual understanding uh, that probably would have took me many years, but uh, I was able to squeeze a lot of things in four years, which may have taken me 20 years to learn. So uh, there again, uh, I don't even have the Bible school diploma on my wall. It's kind of a thing now that people kind of look at as a superfluous piece of paper, but as it is, uh, I learned a lot and met a lot of people and was able to fellowship with a lot of young men who went on uh, to pastor churches, start churches, and I thank God for that experience. As I told one guy, it wouldn't take a million dollars for the four years experience, but I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for four more just like it. So that's kind of yes, how sir. I look at Bible school. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Brother Davis, tell us of some of the heroes that helped develop you as a young man. Well, one of the, uh, probably the greatest man would have been my father, uh, James Davis. Uh, he was my pastor uh, for so many, many years, even until his death. Uh, a great man of God, a man of faith. Uh, I don't know how many thousands of people he could be accredited to helping pray through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Miracles, signs, wonders, gifts of the Spirit. Uh, it was all predominant in his ministry and in the church that he pastored there in Balk Springs. Uh, I would like to someday sit down and write down everything I can remember and still probably couldn't recall all of it. He was a tremendous man and affected me so much uh, in my ministry. And uh, I used to say, I remember telling him one time, if I can just be half the man you are. And he stopped me and said, oh, no, son. No, son. He said, be twice the man that I am. Don't, don't shoot low. Shoot high. And... I, I never thought that I could ever aspire to even be half of what he was, but uh, he put a desire and a thirst in me for more of God, and I appreciate that so much in him. Other great men of God throughout the years, of course, Brother Osmond, your grandfather, was a tremendous inspiration to me. Uh, his faith, his preaching, his boldness uh, made an uh, indelible impact in my life. Ellie Westberg, pastor in Junction City, was a tremendous man of God who went to a small town, church of about a dozen or so members, and uh, at its peak uh, was consistently running six and seven hundred. Uh, he was a soul winner, prayer warrior, very bold, but uh, very compassionate. Uh, people that didn't know him thought he was mean-spirited. But if you ever got to know him, you'd find out that underneath that, that uh, shell, he was one of the greatest and sweetest men you could have ever met. Uh, other men that uh, helped me through the years, Bishop Tom Johnson, uh, Gary Howard was another one that helped me through some very tough times, Lonnie Marcus. Uh, but probably another man that, uh, uh, that I will mention today, and a little controversial, I suppose, but... Uh, I remember when I was running from a call to preach, very introverted, 
uh, whenever I'd get to, uh, uh, was asked to sing, I'd look straight at the ground and couldn't look people in the face, just very, very backward. Uh, man that got a hold of me when I was running for my call was a man by the name of Keith Clark. He grabbed a hold of me one night in April of 1975, and we were in revival, one of the greatest revivals that we'd had in the church at that time, uh, probably maybe the greatest revival we ever had, period, in Bog Springs. He grabbed a hold of me, and he called me Bobby because affectionately they stayed in our house, and him and Dad were, were very close uh, during those times. And uh, he said, Bobby, you're running from a call to preach, and you got to say yes. And I remember telling him, uh, Brother Clark, I, I don't want to be a preacher. I don't want to put my wife and my family, when I get married and have children, through the things that we've gone through. I want to make my dad a good saint and help him to fill the pews of this church. He said, you can't do that, Bobby. you got to say yes to God. And for upwards of an hour, 45 minutes maybe to an hour, he had his arm around me, and he would—he was weeping and sobbing, and uh, and and would not let me go, until finally I said yes to the call of God, and even to this day I owe that man my soul, because he saved me. Because running from God is a thing you don't want to do. You run from God, you grieve Him, and you can be lost over it. Yes. And so he preached to me and prayed with me, and uh, was very dear to me. And he's dead and gone now, but back in uh, uh, so many years ago, 45 years ago, he was very instrumental uh, in helping me to say yes to God, and then my dad took it from there, and then these other men contributed. And probably there's so many men that could be added to that list, but uh, uh, those are probably some of the uh, list of those who have some of the greatest impact in my life. And even in preaching, uh, some of it comes out, a uh, little of him and a little of that one, a little of that one, because yes. we all are the sum total of those who sow into our field, and that's kind of how it is. So hopefully that's not too much. <laughs> Pastor Robert Davis, Sr., 1993. Minutes. You've got to give me some more strength here. The spectacular phenomenon of a Haley's Comet cannot be seen in all of its awe and beauty until the sky has been robbed of all of its brightness and the inky blackness of the night bites as an adder. Then if you look diligently, you'll begin to see the phenomenon. It happens only once every 76 years. The sun's got to go down and the sky's got to be black. And if you get the right kind of lens, you can see that phenomenon. I want to tell you that the church has always shone brightest when the night was darkest. I want to tell you that revival's always been its best when you had to fight your hardest. Come on, preacher. Don't be discouraged this morning. Don't lick your wounds and throw in the towel and quit the fight. Stand up. I know the night's dark, but God put you there for such a time as this. He wants to let you shine. He's going to give you the black drop of a dark night in order for a light to shine, in order for victory to emerge through the darkness. And the devil knows that he can't put his own ugly fingers on you. Come on, church. This is the hour. He put us here for such a time as this. What was it like assisting your father? Well, I assisted my father for almost 10 years. And I can literally say that that was probably some of the greatest training I ever received. Uh, Bible school, of course, we mentioned that earlier, uh, taught us the uh, secular things about the Scripture. But 
standing side by side with one of the greatest men of God that uh, I've ever met was a an experience that I will always treasure. I learned things from a practical standpoint, the application of the Word of God, and also uh, a, a tremendous n number of miracles by standing beside him. And uh, things like uh, uh, the raising of the dead, first time I ever seen that, that it was uh, I was standing beside him when he laid hands on Brother Stovall, and God brought him back to life. Uh, on and on, I've just seen so uh, hundreds of people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I've watched him cast out devils. Uh, just, just you know, the, the whole the the whole spectrum of the gifts of the Spirit in operation. Uh, I'm not saying it happened every night, but uh, in those ten years, I saw it all, and. I'm telling you, I, I'm a better man for it. I, I told the, the one story uh, several times in preaching. I even mentioned it uh, to our congregation last night. Uh, a young man came. He was a migrant worker uh, and was working on a highway crew in, in the Dallas area. One of the men in the church were on that crew and invited this young man to church. He was uh, from Central America. Well, the Holy Ghost got to moving, and people began to shout and dance. And this young man began to weep and cry. So he came to the altar. Dad went down to pray with him and was explaining to him about the Holy Ghost and all the young man could say is no sabi, no sabi, no sabi. So the man that brought him went and grabbed his Santa Biblia and was trying to find Acts 2.38, do the best he could. Dad closed his eyes and began to speak in tongues. And when he did, uh, the man began to shake his head and go, see, 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 lifted his hands and got the Holy Ghost. And after he got through, uh, he mentioned uh, to those standing around, he said, and his little broken English said, he speak to me in my dialect. I understand what that man say. And dad was had his eyes closed just talking in tongues and God was using him to wow. give that man instruction to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, things like... Uh, just all kinds of things, stories after stories uh, that uh, we could be here a long time. But standing side by side, I, I watched him as he preached with authority. I watched him as he preached under the anointing to reach sinners, and he could reach sinners. I watched him build faith in his preaching, and uh, also he taught me a lot of menial things as well. Uh, we were always in a building program, and he always called them work parties. And it was everything but a party, because it was sometimes working from from uh, uh, ten o'clock in the morning till past midnight at night. But uh, he thought the work of God should look its best, and he was always uh, remodeling and painting and refixing and building and buying property. And God was good to us, and uh, those uh, those nearly ten years were some of the most. Uh, glorious years that I ever spent uh, in ministry, and I thank God for that experience. Brother Davis, tell us of some of the greatest miracles you've ever seen, physical miracles, uh, in this church as you've been pastor. Well, the Lord has been good to us, and God gets all the credit for it because I don't 
feel that I'm anything, and that's not feigning humility, that's absolutely the truth. Um, I was uh, mentioning to some not too long ago that I, a number of years ago, I wrote out a list of all the incurable diseases that I've watched God heal here in the last 31 and a half years in Wheelersburg. Cancers removed, blood cancers healed, uh, tumors removed. Uh, a young man that was deaf and dumb spoke and uh, heard for the first time in his life after prayer. Uh, cataracts removed, a man's leg was lengthened almost an inch one night. He almost watched it when it happened. Uh, lady back in 2004, Brother Dudley was preaching for us and the Holy Ghost began to move and several to receive the Holy Ghost and lady in the that had prayed back through, she was a backslider and had had many operations, a lot of scar tissue. Uh, anyway, it began to close up on her and she was unable to eliminate body fluids for a number of weeks. So she had gained about 40 pounds. Toxins set up in her body. She had gone septic. She was unable to walk. She looked like she's about six months pregnant. And she came in that Sunday night uh, in a wheelchair, and the doctor gave her, uh, I think it was about a week to 10 days to live, and she was leaving the next morning to go pick out a grave plot. Well, that night the Holy Ghost got to moving, and while I was... Uh, praying for folks and Brother Dudley was praying for folks and we was having just a you know just a good apostolic service and the Lord spoke to me and told me to go pray for her and told me what to uh, say to her and I'm not trying to make this lengthy but this is what happened and I had never done this before or since mm -hmm. but I remember walking back to her she had been back in church about three weeks and she was in such horrible pain you could see it on her face and she was leaned back and her stomach was all out you know she was a very thin woman but she looked like she's pregnant and I knelt down beside her and I called her by name I said you don't believe that God has forgiven you and she said no pastor I don't and I said you have to believe that and she said it's just hard for me to believe it and this is what the Lord had told me to tell her I said I want you to repeat this after me and she said okay she's very obedient I said, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. She said it, and she began to weep. I said, now you say it. So she said it, and I told her, I said, say it again. And she started trembling, and she said it again. And I laid my hand on her, and I was kneeling beside her chair. And I said, I rebuke the spirit of infirmity and command it to leave this body in Jesus' name. And what happened next surprised me as much as did anyone else, she shot up out of that wheelchair and began to run the aisles. She ran about three times, and of course, we were having a good time. It, it, it almost scared me she jumped up so fast. I thought she'd fallen out of the chair. When I saw what she was doing, of course, I had me some blessing time too. Yes. <laughs> and then, uh, not to be crude, uh, after, the, after all of that was settled down, I went up front and got the microphone and I wanted her to testify. And she had stepped out. And what I, little I know that uh, the, the, the days that she had not been able to eliminate, she went to the restroom, eliminated all the fluids, 
and everything that was in her and she came back in and she was perfectly normal. The swelling was down and she testified that God had miraculously healed her body and she had no pain whatsoever. That's and that was, uh, well, 16 years ago, uh, when we get to November of this year, it'll be 16 years wow. ago. She's still alive today. And uh, what a notable miracle that was. Uh, so we've seen the dead raised uh, on two occasions. And I'm just trying to think of some of the rest of it. Uh, fibromyalgia has been healed. Uh, one lady that uh, was going to lose her leg, they told her that bone did not grow she had been in an automobile accident and for about a year and a half she had about two inches of bone that had not grown together and they were going to take her leg and one Sunday night when I got to preaching the Holy Ghost spoke to me to go back out and pray for her and when I went and prayed she had like a Lazaroth around her foot you know and, and all to keep uh, on her crutches and wheelchair and all she was using and I walked back to her and told her to stand and she stood up and held on to the pew and I prayed for her and two weeks later when she went back to the doctor the bone had grown together and she still has her leg to this day wow. uh, the other day when I was doing some cleaning in my office I found the x-rays of the bone that lacked the two inches and uh, it's all grown together now wow. and uh, to God be the glory yeah. uh, God's still able and he's still on the throne and he's still the miracle worker and he is the one that does it all and like I have mentioned to so many before you know I'm not telling you about things I've read about I just know that this gospel works yes. and it's true and the Bible's promises are true every promise every word every line is still for us today and I praise him for it and I thank God for the great men that's in my life through the years that have put those principles in me and to God be the glory for it all Tell us of the time that you met the prince of the city. Well, Brother Osmond, uh, a couple of nights ago I was praying because I remembered a story that I've told so many times about my dad meeting the prince of his city, and uh, I won't go into all the detail about that, but when dad met a demon-possessed man a number of years ago, uh, before the man lunged at him and tried to kill him uh, he told dad he said you have ruled this city long enough I rule this city and my dad responded to him you're a liar devil I don't rule this city and you don't rule this city the God I serve rules this city yes. and the man lunged at him and dad laid his hands on him and God threw him in the floor and they cast the devil out of him and last time uh, well, at my dad's funeral, I met that man. He's still serving God today. So, uh, But anyway, the spirit of the city, the, the, the king devil, I would call it, uh, came to uh, try to destroy my father, but God gave him deliverance. Yeah. So I had mentioned that uh, to God in prayer, and I said, you know, maybe that's uh, what, it, what, what will this be? Well, back in the year of 2000, matter of fact, it was in the month of May of 2000, uh, there was a, a lady that, a young lady that uh, had come to uh, this county and uh, wanted to learn to ride horses, of course she said, and the lady that allowed her to stay with her and board with her, uh, 
knew about our church and had visited a time or two, and this girl was staying with her uh, for a few weeks, she said. And she said, well, where's an apostolic church? Well, the lady said, I only know of one, and that's Truth Tabernacle. And she said, that's the one I'm looking for. So the lady brought her to church. Well, I wasn't in town the first time the lady came to church, but I remember on that one Sunday night, uh, service was bound up a little bit, and this lady was sitting about halfway back on the right side. And anyway, well, back in those days before COVID-19, we shook hands a lot. Now we just kind of bump elbows. But, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I had people, you know, shake hands, greet our visitors, whatever. Well, this lady walked out. I did not know what she was doing. Uh, but anyway, when she came back in, my spiritual radar went off. And I lit into her. And whenever I did, well, she put her arms up to try to cover herself like she's trying to cover what I was saying. Well, then I just kept right on until finally she got up and she ran out. And she ran out the door and the ushers watched her. Well, she went out in the middle of Ohio River Road right from our church and began to spin and do some incantations. And when she got through, she walked over to the vacant lot and two men dressed in black came out of the graveyard and did obeisance to her. And then they went and got in the car and drove off. And the lady that she was sitting by came up to me after church with her eyes just really big, you know. And she said, you know what she was doing when I caught her in the cloakroom? She said she had her blouse down and she was cutting herself trying to make a blood sacrifice and put a blood curse on this church. And she said, I called her and told her to get her clothes back on and get in there. And she said, then you lit in on her. And the Holy Ghost let me know in prayer that that was the prince of this region that came in to do damage. But we rebuked the spirit of hell. And I think that's what I was doing when I lit into her. I began to rebuke the spirit of hell. And she got up and she ran out of the building. So the Lord let me know that I have met the prince of this city and that it came. As a matter of fact, uh, a couple of days later, uh, she got on the Greyhound bus and she went back. She was from Wisconsin. She had told several people, she said, yeah, I knew of this church long before I got here. I knew all about this church. Well, she was a witch. Wow. And uh, she came to wreak havoc and try to stop it. But the Bible said, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Yes. So God gave us victory. Now, that doesn't mean whenever a person gets conquers that that that's is going to be a free ride all the way in the devil's going to fight all the way but uh, it's a good thing to know that uh, that you know when you get up and I told the church last night I said whenever you're walking down the street and you can feel the devil running from you that's a real good feeling so the devil's not chasing me the devil's running from me because I'm full of the Holy Ghost it's yeah. Christ and it's the hope of glory yeah. so anyway that's that story that uh, that's what that's all about So this podcast is obviously geared towards young people, and the title of my podcast is Finding Your Purpose Podcast. So what is your advice to a young person that feels they do not have a purpose in the church? My advice to the younger generation, youthful generation, regardless of what age group, uh, sometimes youth can be. Well, now that I'm 63, sometimes we say that... uh, anything that's under 60 is youthful (laughs) you know some mornings I wake up and I feel like I'm a young person other times I feel like I'm an ancient old man 
but my advice to them that feel like they don't have a purpose is to uh, develop a prayer life and seek God because every person that God fills with the Holy Ghost has a purpose. And, and if you're not hungry to seek out what that purpose is, you're never going to find it. And I think one of the greatest keys to being used of the Lord and finding direction is your hunger for God. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And just because a person doesn't hold a microphone or they don't play an instrument or perhaps they feel like they don't have anything to contribute does not mean they don't have a purpose. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest opportunities that a person can have in the kingdom of God is to be an altar worker and to help pray people through the Holy Ghost and to pray with those who are struggling. Those uh, contributors around the altar are some of the greatest people that I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're good saints. They're precious saints. And they're a strong right arm to the ministry. And uh, that's what keeps church going. Uh, people that uh, love the loss and teach Bible studies, uh, their purpose, uh, maybe they don't get up and can't lead a song or doesn't sing a special or, or preach a message but uh, they have been such a strong arm of the church and their strength and that is such we need those kind of people not like one used to, person used to say not everybody can be a, uh, a leader because uh, if everybody's leaders there's no followers yeah. uh, but there has to be followers and God calls some people uh, to be second men to be followers to be uh, uh, useful in the, in the hands of God and even in the church here in Wheelersburg, if I did not have good, strong saints that supported me, prayed for me, and uh, and helped do what I don't have the time to do, this church could never have gone as far as it's went. Mm-hmm. And uh, we could go further if we had more. So uh, just seek after God. Pray and fast. Be faithful and find out what that purpose is. And if it's not what somebody else is, don't judge yourself by what they're doing, but what you're doing. Be unique. Be what God wants you to be as, as God's young man, God's young lady. And uh, be strong. Be faithful. And be an encourager. Be a prayer warrior. Be a worshiper. Uh, be a soul winner. And if we all do our part in the kingdom of God, then all the pieces of the puzzle fit together. And it produces a great and wonderful masterpiece. What would you say to a young person that feels lonely? Well, loneliness is not a curse. Matter of fact, one man said it years ago that every man's gift must be tempered in loneliness. And I think sometimes God allows the lonely moments to come because that's God's magnet to pull us to an altar. Uh, I've had many lonely moments. Matter of fact, if anyone's going to ever be mightily used of God, they're going to have to learn to embrace loneliness and make it their best friend. Uh, because it is in loneliness where you don't hear the clamoring of noise, the voices of men that will pull you aside, but loneliness gets you in a position where you can hear the voice of God clearly, distinctly, and it begins to temper your character. So loneliness is not a curse. Uh, loneliness is one of the great blessings that God uses to uh, bring people to himself. Joseph spent most of his uh, glorious, productive years in loneliness. 
the uh, for, first 40 years of Moses was spent uh, in obscurity and loneliness. Uh, some of the greatest prayer meetings ever prayed were prayed uh, in those lonely times where we could search our soul, rid ourselves of weights that easily beset us, and put us in a position where we could hear that still, small voice. Uh, Elijah was alone when he heard the still, small voice. The crackling of the fire, the blowing of the wind, the rending of the rocks. But in all of that, he was alone and uh, probably felt like uh, he wasn't uh, worth anything and that his life's journey was ended. Mm -hmm. But that still, small voice in that lonely time, God spoke to him and said, you're not through. You have some anointing to do. You've got an anointing on Elisha. You're going to anoint a king of Syria, and you're going to anoint the next king of Israel. So get your oil bottle out. And uh, so loneliness produced a brand new position and purpose and direction. And that's what you've got to do when loneliness comes. Embrace it and allow it to make you what you should be and move you to the next level and spiritual dimension that God has. Brother Davis, how important is the youth in the church? The youth is the strength and the bridge to the next generation. The youth is not the church of tomorrow. The youth is the church of today. Now that I'm getting older, I can't run and jump like I used to. I don't have the energy that I used to. And so I'm looking to allow my dreams and the dreams of God that have been placed in my heart to be fulfilled by the youth of this generation and the next. The youth is a vital part of the church. Without youthfulness and without that dream uh, to pursue on, then the church will die. Uh, so it is, in, it, is, it is incredibly important that the youth understand this. And the uh, Bible talks about the old men shall dream dreams and young men shall see visions. And what has to happen is that the, the old man's dreams must become the young man's vision. There has to be a transference there. And without that transference, it will die before it ever lives. So uh, I thank God for what I see coming up on the horizon, young men, young ladies that have a tremendous hunger for God, and, uh, and as it moves on to the next generation, it should be like the Elijah-Elisha situation. Uh, it should be uh, a double portion. And I think that's the will of God. So if I have a portion, may the next generation have a double portion, and may the one follows them have a double of a double. Only God knows uh, how important this is because with the age the way it is and the spirits of hell unleashed, we can't be satisfied with single portion. We've got to have a double and a double of a double and then quadruple and on and on until the Lord comes. I believe the Lord could come before this day is over. Yes. Uh, but if he should tarry his coming, then yesterday's anointing is not enough. We've got to have a double. And that is the plan and purpose of the youth is to pick up and to take it further and run faster than I ever have. And I'm confident that God has such people in our youth group today. Brother Davis, I just felt to ask this question, but what would you say to a young person that's running from their calling? I would say stop running and use that energy to run to God. Embrace what God has for you. 
Don't be afraid of it. Uh, fear does not come from God. Fear comes from the devil. Mm -hmm. And so uh, perfect love casts out fear. I'll say this to you. One of my greatest fears that I ran from God and his call was uh, my inability. I was uh, uh, terribly inverted, and uh, I was fearful of crowds standing in front of people. But I can honestly say by embracing God's purpose that he is more than compensated for that and that he will not ask you to do what you cannot do. Uh, and that's the fear that we have because, oh, I can't do that. If God asks you to do it, it's because not only does he know that you can do it, but with his anointing and his calling, you can do it incredibly well. So don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. Say yes to it. And the quicker you do it, the more you can get done. The longer you wait, you're not going to lose the call. You may disqualify yourself, but the calling is going to always be there. Embrace it. And, uh, and when you embrace it and you see what God can do, you give him the glory and you enjoy the process. And when you stand back and you look at all that God has done, you give him all the credit and say, look what the Lord has done and wasn't it fun? Yes. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Many years ago, there was a prophecy that went forth from Azusa Street. And the prophecy was there would be a generation to come in the last days that would have an overemphasis on praise to a God they no longer pray to. And it's something we can certainly see coming to the horizon in the year 2020. And how important is our prayer life and prayer in the church? Prayer is the lifeblood of the church. I think we all know this, but some people have to learn it later than sooner. It's easy to shout and run and get excited over music. And we should get excited and praise God over music. But the depth of prayer will determine the height of a revival and, and the length of that revival. And people who do not pray uh, do not have that relationship and so then worship becomes cheap charismatics have that they learn how to jump and dance and all and I've heard people say well I hear such and such choir singing and I can feel God well uh, that's that's disputable and you may feel God from that but uh, emotion is a strong a strong feeling in the human race but deeper than emotion and when you worship you should be emotional but it has to go deeper than emotion. It has to get spiritual. And that's where prayer comes in. Uh, because uh, I have found out, even by myself praying, I have learned to dance and talk in tongues and rejoice in the Holy Ghost all by myself. No music playing. Uh, does that mean that I don't dance with the music when I'm praying? Uh, I'm going to dance with the music. I think that's appropriate because the Bible said praise the Lord in the dance. Yes. And that came out of the Psalms, which is a songbook. Mm -hmm. So obviously there, there is a time and place for that. But, uh, but worship is powerful, but prayer is even more powerful because prayer gives depth to worship. And without prayer, worship is shallow and cheap. Prayer is the only thing that's going to keep you in the church because prayer is relationship. Worship is emotion, but prayer is relationship. And when you get that relationship with God, that's when God speaks to you. 
And of course, if you're prayerful, you're going to be very sensitive to God and your worship will be even more powerful. You know, in the Old Testament, they marched around the walls and they blew the trumpets. They praised God in Jehoshaphat's day and God sent the victory because of their worship and their prayer to God and the beauty of holiness. But it wasn't until after somebody prayed. So prayer has to be connected with worship. When you put prayer and worship together, you have a combination that can tear down walls and win victories. Mm -hmm. But when all you have is worship, you have a good night. Yeah. And so that's, uh, and, and I believe that that prophecy that was given in Azusa Street is absolutely accurate. Uh, we don't have any way of judging who said it or, or the criterion in which the atmosphere it was given in. But it has played true because we are living in a generation of people that love to praise because it feels good to praise God, absolutely. But uh, it's easier to praise God and not pray. Prayer sometimes is very hard work, especially intercessory prayer. But intercessory prayer is highly productive and intensely powerful. And so uh, I'm not saying you've got to do away with one to keep the other. Embrace both of them, but uh, don't throw away the prayer. You throw away the prayer, you're going to go into apostasy. That's the end result of a prayerless people. <coughs> Brother Davis, thank you so much for joining this podcast. It has been an honor, and for many years I've looked up to your ministry, and you've certainly been a hero of mine, and I mean that with every word. Uh, if anybody talks to me any length of time about preaching, oftentimes nine out of ten your name is mentioned, and uh, it, you mean the world to me. God just to be able to sit down with you today has just been an honor. The honor is all mine. Brother Osmond, and I mentioned to our young men some time ago that uh, in a generation of books and information, instant information, it seems like sometimes that uh, the elder ministry is not being asked questions that will go with them to their grave. Uh, we do have a lot of information, and I certainly appreciate the opportunity to be able just to tell you what little bit I've learned, what little bit I've seen, and praying that it will make a difference because uh, a lot of the stuff we've talked about today can't be written in a book. Uh, it can't be expressed without uh, just the opportunity to do what we've done right here on your podcast. Your podcast have been a blessing, and it's reaching our younger generation, and it's a blessing to the older generation too. So it's reaching the whole spectrum. And I'm going to say that I love you, your father, your grandfather, and uh, your ministry and all of your ministries and uh, your walk with God is a tremendous blessing to me. And I thank you for that. Thank you for letting me spend time with you today. It's been my honor. This has been Finding Your Purpose podcast, episode number nine. You can email me at findingyourpurposepod at gmail.com. That is findingyourpurposepod at gmail.com. I pray that this podcast has been a tremendous blessing to each and every one. And in the words of Pastor Robert Davis, keep on dreaming. You brethren have lost some key people. And you've gone through some financial difficulty. Some of you have gone through some painful experiences financially with your family, with friends.
Bad press in the city. I don't know how much more I could go right down through there in unscrupulous brethren and churches robbing, lying, telling stories that are not true. All kinds of dilemmas. And the devil robs the dream. We walk into a church that last year it was packed. Now there are a few empty pews. Platform used to have lots of musicians. Now you only have two. Choir loft used to be full. Now you got a handful. And the devil tells you, huh? You know, these are the last days. These are the last days. You know, it's just about over. You just hold on till Jesus comes. And if you got that mentality, Elder Lammas already addressed that right here. You probably won't be here next time, this time next year. But you got to look beyond the empty pew. And you got to get your dream back. Preaching to some moms and dads. You got a dream that your children are going to be in this church. You prayed and God gave you a vision and you saw them talking in tongues. You saw them. They're not in the church now. They're still on drugs. They're still out there running the roads. But God gave you a dream. Now the devil wants to make you think the church is going down. Nobody wants this truth. We're not going to have revival. Give me back my dream. Give me back my dream. I need a dreamer to help me dream my dream again.